Welcome everyone to Fiction Forward, where our fiction is intersectional and our ideas are forward. And Woo! it's been a month and yeah. we're back. <laughs> Episode 5. <laughs> So hi everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of Fiction Forward. I'm sorry we've been absent, but sometimes writer's block gets in the way, and trips to Europe in Jackie's case. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's surprisingly hard to record a filler episode when your whole episode structure is based on you reading an entire novel. And there's there's only so much we can rant about in regards to tropes and representation without having concrete examples to back those up too so but but we're back we're here hello uh i also feel like we should probably introduce ourselves again you know it's been five episodes some of you are probably new it's been a month since we've published anything so hello i'm jackie (laughs) i'm kelly uh, I am 23 now, which is strange. Um, I was 22 when we started this podcast. Anyway, I live in southeastern Connecticut, and I have a journalism degree. It's super fun. I am obsessed with reading and started Fictionist Magazine, and then I started this podcast with Kelly, and and we're trying to start a dialogue and stuff. So, Yeah. Cool. I am not as old as Jackie. I'm 22. (laughs) Jackie is elderly. And I live in Northeast PA, which is a fun place and cold. Um, And all I do is talk about representation and I think about representation and media issues and studies like pretty much every day. Uh, so it's cool to be able to have like an outlet for the stuff that I'm already talking about or <laughs> ranting to Jackie about. <laughs> Indeed. It's good for us both to be able to like Facebook message each other and be like, we need to do a podcast on this instead of just being like, I am angry. <laughs> instead of just <laughs> screaming into the void. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so this episode is going to focus on the recently released fantasy novel Before She Ignites by Jody Meadows. Um, so Jody Meadows is a white author. The main characters in the book are POC, and we will be discussing how that is well represented and maybe not so well represented sometimes, and just like other feedback that people had on her work in general. So also note, it's uh, it's not just the main characters that are POC, it's just like everyone in the book. Like, it's just the entire area of the world, and and yeah, so it's not like a, a white author coming in and being like, hello, yes, these two main characters are black, but no one else is, and they are special. It's just like a white author just like writing a whole area of the world that happens to have only POC. Indeed. So, to summarize, there's before and after sections of the book so it kind of like jumps back and forth between present day happenings and then flashbacks or like past events that add more context to the present happenings so before Mira Minkoba (laughs) is the hope bearer since the day she was born she's been told she's special important perfect She's known across the Fallen Isles, not just for her beauty, but for the Mira Treaty, named after her, a peace agreement which united the seven islands against their enemies on the mainland. But Mira has never felt as perfect as everyone says. She counts compulsively. She struggles with crippling anxiety. And she's far too interested in dragons for a girl of her station. After. Then, Mira discovers an explosive secret that challenges everything she and the treaty stand for. Betrayed by the very people she spent her life serving, Mira is sentenced to the Pit, the deadliest prison in the Fallen Isles. I I love that it's called the Pit. (laughs) Like, it's so... It's ominous. (laughs) There, a cruel guard would do anything to discover the secret she would die to protect. 
no longer beholden to those who betrayed her, Mira must learn to survive on her own and unearth the dark truths about the fallen isles and herself before her very world begins to collapse. So it doesn't really talk that much about how, like, every character in this book is POC. Um, actually, interestingly enough, the cover of this book features a POC model, which doesn't usually happen in, like, major publishing house books, which, um... So this book was actually published by Catherine Teagan Books, according to Goodreads, which might not sound familiar, but it's actually a HarperCollins imprint, so it's, like, a big publishing house. Um, apparently, according to the author's personal blog, she thinks this is the first time that a POC model has been kept on a cover for a major publishing house, not for, like, indie books or anything like that, but for, like, a major, like, Random House or HarperCollins, etc. So, uh, we don't really know how to confirm that, but people seem to agree with her, and she did mention that she's kind of confused about how to feel about being the first person with a POC model on her cover because she is a white author and she was like maybe this should have gone to like a POC author like (laughs) I don't know why I'm the first person this happened to um so it's good that she mentioned it and like wants everyone to know that she recognizes that she's a white author and that a POC author probably should have gotten a POC model on their cover before her (laughs) but uh yeah (laughs) yeah but that is like one of the stranger things about this is that uh as a white author she has a poc model on the cover but it is cool to see uh, a poc model on the cover of a book it doesn't happen that often um so it is nice to see even though it is a white author um so that's actually what turned us on to this book originally because we saw the cover and then we saw that it had POC main characters, and then we saw the author's blog post about being a white author, and we were like, this might be cool to talk about. Let's read it. And then and then after reading it, too, the book isn't so much centered around the identity of the POC characters being POC. It's more just like it's a fantasy story that just, like, the main characters and everyone in the universe just happen to be POC. So, whereas before, if you remember and or heard of The Black Witch, a book that we reviewed mm. a while ago in a very extensive... A very long episode. <laughs> a very long episode. <laughs> that book centered around a lot of themes that kind of parallel modern understandings of race relations. So there were a lot of similar themes to how race is treated in American society, in European society, and after reading it, there wasn't really, like, one historical point that we could, like, pinpoint it to in terms of just how, like, race relations were, like, operating in society that time, but it was definitely, like, it was pretty clear that it was, like, an amalgamation of, like, European-American, like, race relations with, like, POC, but... This story more so focused on the aforementioned anxiety of the main character, Mira. And a lot of it is about just, like, the way she deals with and overcomes the struggles that she experiences with mental health. um, While also happening to be POC. So a lot of it isn't really, like, super related to, like, race relations. There's even parts... Where they talk about how the uh, Mira Treaty, which is the, you know, the peace treaty between all of these islands that Mira is named after, how that was supposed to fix, like, inequality between the islands. Now, the inequality isn't really ever explained as much. Um, You can kind of infer that a lot of it's definitely, like, socioeconomic inequality just because... You know, you see Mira being used to, like, a certain way of life, like, a certain style of dress, like, a certain standard of living. And then that's very different when she meets other people who aren't, like, you know, like, royalty-ish in the pit. Um, But it's never mentioned that it's some sort of, like, racial inequality, really. And also it's, I mean, like, 
Some of you uh, might be confused as to why we just keep using the word like POC and we don't like specify a race or anything. And it's because every time uh, a character is introduced, whether it's a minor character or a main character, um, if there's any reason to mention their appearance, the author always mentions that their skin is like brown or dark or like some other identifying word. And um, she never actually she never uh, compares them to like a food item, which I really appreciate. But um yeah she's never like their chocolatey skin or like like anything like that uh which is really nice because i hate that yeah that's something i really appreciate it too because like like her descriptions never like exoticized her characters like it was never like you know like overly like sexual like the characters weren't hypersexualized. there just weren't that many like characters with a capital C like like on reality TV or anything like that. Yeah. The descriptions for the characters, especially the physical descriptions, were all very just like benign and kind of qualitative. Like it wasn't ever suggesting that there was some sort of like deeper like, you know, sexualization to it or like even any stereotypes like no one no one was described as, like, having any sort of stereotypical features. Like, no one, no one's facial makeup was described ever. No one's, like, noses, which happens a lot, was described. No one's hair was, like, really intricately described. Mm-hmm. Um, it is mentioned that, like, uh, Mira has curly hair and it's, like, thick and she needs to tie it up with, like, cloth sometimes. But that's, that's like, hair. I don't... <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's that's all that is. But but yeah, so I the reason that we're kind of being vague also is because the author never really describes anyone past like having dark skin or dark hair or like their eye color. And so it's kind of hard to be like, "Oh, all of these characters are like African American or black or like whatever you want to say." Like it's we don't actually know what they really look like quotes upon on really. Um but the, the cover does have, like, a darker-skinned model, so I don't know if the characters are supposed to be, like, Pacific Islander or, like, any other kind of POC. I don't know. It's very vague. Mm-hmm. So, so personally, for me, like, I didn't really think a lot of the character descriptions were problematic. Like, you know, like I said, they were pretty benign. Um, some reviews that we found, though, actually just only, like, a few reviews not that that diminishes the validity of the review at all but just that it wasn't i guess like a very visible perspective about the book um one woman wrote that uh basically or i should say like um like one woman one woman wasn't super pleased about how black women were portrayed within the book um mostly the way that black women relate to each other within the book which is like a valid point just because the only woman that Mira really relates to on like a very like genuine friendship level is her friend Alina who works in like the dragon sanctuary and I think like works for her and her parents basically um so they're friends but every other woman that she meets in the book isn't someone she has like a great relationship with even like the one other woman that she meets in prison turta who's from a different island than her uh ends up betraying her in the end um a lot of the women in her cell block either like don't talk to her or do talk to her but are like vaguely suspicious about it you know like she doesn't have like a great relationship with her mom like her mom's like super emotionally abusive towards her um so, I don't know. I, I feel like that's valid. Yeah, I I would... Okay, so I don't know how much I agree with the way it was, like, written that there are literally no women characters that she gets along with because even the reviewer brings up, like, three different people that Mira does get along with who are women, and then she just, like, writes them off as, like, yeah, but never mind. And so, like, I, I don't know. She definitely has friends and stuff, but I would agree with the point that all of the adult POC women are, like, really demonized. Like, like it's it's that thing that's really harmful where, like, the young POC are, like, 
so nice and friendly, but, like, it's the older POC that are, like, scary. And it's, like, that's just such a harmful dynamic. And -hmm. it's, like, so prevalent. And it it is something that really annoyed me because, um, so we have a lot of these quotes about Mira's mom and how emotionally abusive she is because she literally constantly tells Mira what a disappointment she is. Like, Mira's idea of, like, spending a holiday with her mother is literally her mom telling her how disappointing she is. It's, there are so many quotes about it. It's, like, borderline annoying how many times it gets brought up that her mom does not appreciate her at all. Anyway, so that's her mom. And then another, like, adult presence is the Luminary Council, of which there are, like, a couple of women, and one of them is supposed to be friendly with Mira, and then she ends up betraying her and literally cutting her face open. Like, literally, she's, like, so horrible to Mira that she cuts her face open and, like, enslaves her. It's, like, it's not cool. And so I feel like a lot of the older POC women are, like, scary, quote-unquote, or, like, like, abusive in some way. And it's just, it's, like, kind of harmful to me, like, because children are not the only kind of POC that are, like, nice or helpful or whatever. Like, adults are not scary. I don't understand this point of view. (laughs) Yeah, and I, like... I don't know how much of that is, because, like, I'm not in Jody Meadows' head, but, like, I don't know how much of that is just, like, a perception of making, like, authentic, like, POC, like, I'm using air quotes right now. You can't see. It's a podcast. But, like, <laughs> authentic, uh, like, adult POC characters, or if it's more that, like, you know, authority figures in the book are just, like, generally supposed to be shitty, But then it was like, okay, well, I don't want all of my authority figures to be men. Because, like, a lot of the main authority figures are, like, women in a lot of the situations. Like, the only exception to that being the, uh, like, the main prison guard, Altan, who is just a shit lord. Oh, my God. He's a man. (laughs) He's a terrible person. Um, But that's just kind of how, like, most other characters in positions of authority act within the book. Because I think, like, an exception to that, like, the adult characters being, you know, like, kind of shitty, it mirrors, like, kind of servant, like, lady-in-waiting type of person, Krasimir. Um, And even then, it's like, okay, well, she probably, like, has to be nice, because, you know, she's, like, (laughs) she's, like, her servant, kind of. She's also, like, the only LGBT person in the entire book, and it's, like, this nice lesbian lady who's, like, nice to Mira. It's just, like, a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, that's just something I would like to know if it was... If Jodie Meadows had written those characters in those positions of authority with the intention of having just authority being, like, just like a shitty thing like that being just like a theme throughout the book that like authority is generally shitty or or what (laughs) yeah and i mean i i want to clarify that since every character in this book is poc it's like hard to say that jody meadows like had the only poc characters like be problematic because they're all poc even the non-problematic characters so it's like Mm -hmm. it's hard to generalize and it's hard to get into jody meadows head and like see what she was trying to do because it's it would be very easy for her to say to herself like all positions of power over mira in this book are problematic because that's my point like like everyone involved in the mira treaty is shitty period like that is a fact and like her mom is involved in that the luminary council with that one woman on it is involved in that and so like all of the people that i was talking about that were like being abusive are involved in this big deception uh, about the mirror treaty and so it could just be jody meadows being like hey authority is bad <laughs> you know it could not have any like bad you know intentions or anything like that but it is something that like kind of like sparked a little bit of like uh this is kind of problematic but like i don't really know if it's problematic anyway yeah um, just just because that's like that's like one of the main plot drivers in the book um when like you know the plot finally starts to happen um indeed which i had i had an issue with that but i'll i'll probably get to that later um (laughs) 
But that was like that was like the main like you know plot twist in the book. Like everyone who was an authority figure was lying to you, you know. And that's like All kind of them. yeah. And that's what drives like the drama of the book because without that, like without that betrayal of the authority figures and without the authority figures being shitty, Mira wouldn't have ended up in the pit in the first place because she got sent there because she tried to challenge the government and they were like, sorry, we're more powerful than you off to jail. (laughs) And (laughs) so that like none of that would have happened. So it's kind of like just the way like the plot was written. It's like kind of essential to have that. So I don't know. I, I feel like it's like more of a plot thing. Um, yeah. But going off that, too, um, and what we were saying earlier about how, like, literally every character in this book, like, there is not one character who is not POC, unless it's, like, just kind of, like, in the universe floating around somewhere. Like, I just, it's never explicitly mentioned. Um, so uh, another another critique that people had about that type of representation is that since Jody Meadows is a white author and her characters are POC, that it's not, or like, she can't write about things that she has not, like, personally experienced or just even write about identities that she, you know, is not a part of herself, which I would, I understand this point of view in the sense if this were, you know, if Jodi Meadows was writing a book about, like, a young girl growing up in the 1960s in America, and it's, like, a very specific historic context, even not even, like, a specific historic context, even if it's just, like, like an allegory or, like, themes of, like, racial relations and, like, what it's like to feel, like, othered in a society that, like, values like one skin black color over the other. Witch. Yeah, exactly! Like the Black Witch! Yeah! Like, that could have been, yeah, like, the Black Witch had reasons that people were upset about it, because it was very obviously rooted in, like, modern-day race relations, and it was, like, very, very obviously related to that, but this book just doesn't, it's, like, even when there is discrimination, like Kelly mentioned, it's like between the islands and it's probably more socioeconomic just from like context. And even if it's not, uh, all of the islands have slightly different religions. So like that's Mm -hmm. also sometimes a point of contention. Yeah. But it's never about like race in any way. Like even like shades of skin, like it's just never brought up Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah, yeah, it's it's never brought up as like a conflict point. It's just brought up as like a hey, this is what our characters look like so you have a visual in your head. But beyond that, like a lot of the main themes of the book is just like having a mental illness in this particular situation, anxiety, you know, what that's like to deal with on a daily basis, what that does to like your sense of self and you know, your sense of being able to like be successful or accomplish things and achieve your goals um and then like it shows Mira overcoming a lot of that so it's not it's not about you know what it's like to be like black in like a specific historic context even just saying like even just saying like specific historic context could include like what it's like being black in a world that you know values white lives more you know, because that, that's what it was like in The Black Witch. Uh, so it's like, it's, you know, it's a specific call out to an issue that exists outside of this fictitious world. But for for this novel, it's, it's just mental illness, you know? Yeah, and I think that Jodi Meadows, having been around the YA world, because this is not her debut, she's written multiple other books... I think that having been a part of this group of YA authors, she knows that, like, this is not her place to be talking about race relations, and I think that she probably didn't mention it on purpose. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that it was a concerted effort to just be like, look, all of these people are POC, all right, cool, and, like, move on to the next thing, and, like, it's never mentioned that it's a point of contention at all. She never mentions it in any way other than to point out that someone's skin is, like, brown or dark or etc like some other descriptor that's not white and so I think that it was a definite effort on her part and that she was trying to like not pretend that she knows a lot about race relations or 
culture or anything like that. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because she she didn't even touch those topics. Like they weren't even like vaguely mentioned. No, you know? they weren't even like you know how sometimes fantasy books like allude to other issues like that are gonna come up later. Like she didn't even do that. It was never mentioned. It was stayed away from completely. Mm-hmm. Like Kelly said earlier, the book is like less about POC identities and like race relations, etc. It's like not about that at all. It's really more about. Mira's personal, like, journey through with her anxiety and her, like, the the summary calls it, quote-unquote, obsessive counting. So I, I don't know, because I don't personally have OCD, I don't know if that would, like, be an OCD symptom, but for purposes of talking about this, we're just gonna say that she has anxiety, because that's very easily pointed out, because she has this, like, self-destructive monologue thing going that's, like, very anxiety-slash-depression, like, as someone who has those things. It's, like, very realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, she just goes through life being like, wow, I suck. Oh, wait, I did something right. I still suck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, whatever that would happen, I was just like, oh, no, that's too real. Like, literally, she would be, like, in prison, like, I can't even clean. I'm such a failure as a human being. Like, I was so coddled in my life at home that I, like, can't do anything, and I'm such a horrible person. Meanwhile, she's, like, working out with her, like, neighbor who's a warrior person, and she's, like, getting so strong and doing all these things and taking a job from this, like, prison system. I don't even... Yeah. And she's doing all of these things, trying to take care of herself, and it's working, and she's, like, doing a good job, especially for someone who's been coddled for so long. And she still, like, literally thinks about herself as, like, a horrible little girl who, like, can't do anything. (laughs) Despite all of these, like, negative things that we read, like, Mira thinking about herself throughout the book, there's so many instances where she, like, proves herself wrong. So I, like, went through and, like, made a list of, like, all of these things she thinks. Like, one of the main things is, like, she thinks she can't really do anything without the pills that, like, her doctor has described her to help with her panic attacks. Um, But, like, throughout the book, she's able to, like, calm her anxiety or at least, like, manage it and cope with it when it's, like, really overtaking her life through breathing and, like, and counting. And, like, on the counting thing, too, like, yeah, I feel like that could maybe be, like, more of, like, a compulsive type of thing, too. Like, I also saw it as, like, a grounding type of mechanism, um, especially mm-hmm. just, like, I-, I know, like, like a good technique for <laughs> at least, like, if you don't feel like you're dissociating or something or just, like, really just not having, like, a great mental time in that sense. Um, and, like, I've done this before, too, where, like, I'll go around the room and I'm, like, okay, I'm going to, like, count like one thing that I can smell I'm gonna count like two things I can hear and like three things I can see like four things I can touch or something you know and that just kind of reminds you that like all right well like everything is like all still like physically here around me you know I'm still here too everything is like real (laughs) um and then it also like helps your brain like slow down a little And it, like, gives you, like, something else to focus on while you kind of, like, ride that anxiety wave out. So, like, she does that. She also says, like, she doesn't think she's brave. Like, and she thinks, like, a lot of other characters think that way about her, too. Um, You know, like, a lot of times she'll say, like, you know, her prison guard wasn't expecting her to do something. It's like, probably because he doesn't think that I'm that brave, you know. This is, like like, a very big theme that comes up a lot. Um... But, like, she really demonstrates her bravery, like, later on in the book by, first of all, confronting, like, an angry giant dragon that, like, the entire town of, like, two, two dragons, yeah! Um, but there's, there's one dragon in Bothan, uh, which is one of the islands, like, breaks free of its cage, and, you know, she loves dragons, so she runs over, and she's like, are you okay? Meanwhile, the entire town is, like, screaming and running away, (laughs) but she's like, all right, calm down, little baby, it's all right. Um, Later on, she, like, she returns to the pit after she's released, and then, like, you know, given a chance to have freedom again, she, like, voluntarily chooses to go back to the pit to save the people that she, like, formed relationships with there. Um, like, later on, she fights Altan. Like, she literally fucking stabs him in the side with a Norstone crystal, <laughs> which is badass. 
Like, she delivered her version of this, like, you know, propaganda type of speech that, like, the Luminary Council wanted her to deliver when she was free. And she was like, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to spread this propaganda. I'm just going to say what I think. And that took a lot of bravery. Um, she thinks she's not strong, which is false. She endured the pit. Like, she, <laughs> as hard as it was and as much as it sucked... She got through it enough to, like, go back down a second time and to save people, like I mentioned. She trained alongside Gerald, who's, like, this, like, kind of scowly, like, badass warrior woman who was in the cell across from her. Um, you know, there's several times where she's, like, severely injured in the book. She's like, I'm just gonna fight through this anyway. And, like, just keeps going. Um... Like, she thinks she's not smart. That one comes a lot from her mother. She always says, like, oh, well, mother says, like, thinking's not my strong suit, you know? Like, she, like it's a lot of, like, her mother kind of getting in her head about this, too, and also, like, her own lack of confidence in her abilities. Um, but she's smart. Like, she coordinated how to, like, escape with all of the prisoners from the pit. Um... At the end, she figures out how to harness the Norse Stone's power. And, like, Norse Stones are, like, these, like, glowy, like, powerful rock type of things. <laughs> anyway, but, like, she figures out how to, like, harness that and, like, use them as a resource. She also thinks she's not a good friend. Um, again, return to literal, like, hell on Earth or whatever the planet that their islands are on is called. That's never really... <laughs> That's never really specified, but she returns to, like, literal hell into the pit to rescue, like, her friend Aru, to rescue Gerald, to rescue, like, everyone else who was there. Um, she's so concerned for their well-being throughout the entire book, as well as, like, her friends from home. And when Aru, who is context so, <sighs> he is the cellmate to her, basically, um, and he's from an island where silence is valued, so they communicate through, like, a secret, like, tapping language, and there's kind of, there's kind of some romantic tension there, you know, <laughs> like, it's implied, but the prison guard, like, sees that they have a relationship, and he's like, all right, in order to get the information that I want, I'm going to torture this guy, um, and afterwards, like, Mirror's like, this is my fault. Like, I mean, part of that's, like, kind of... Part of that's, like, kind of, like, her anxiety, like, blaming it on her. Like, she just kind of feels like everything is her fault anyway. But, like, she takes responsibility for, like, Aru getting hurt. She's like, look, like, this is... I'm gonna make this right, basically. You know? She's just, like, she's a good friend. And then finally, her friends from home... Uh, one includes a dude named, I guess, Haristo? Christo? Christo? I, I don't I don't really know actually. It's uh H R I S T O for anyone who's interested. But anyway, he's like been her protector basically for years and years and years, basically since her childhood. And whenever she gets stuck in like a really tense or like dire situation, you know, she's like, Oh, like I wish like Christo was here or you know, like, I wish he could help me, blah, blah, blah. Even when he's, like, there with her physically, when she finally gets to beat up with him again, she's like, I wish Fristo could, like, take care of this for me. But she ends up, like, solving the issue herself. You know, she's, like, she's looking for someone to, like, protect her, but, like, she ends up, like, being able to rely on her own abilities and, like, cleverness to, like, get out of a situation. So she's not really, like, a damsel in distress in that sense. Like, yeah, she's, like... She wants to kind of, like, wait around for, like, someone to rescue her, but that's only because she can't really believe that she can do it herself. And then she's always surprised afterwards where it's like, oh, wait, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like a couple of people on, like, Goodreads kind of brought up that there's not very much character development, but I feel like there is. Like, yeah, by the end of the book, she still has anxiety problems, but, like, anxiety problems don't go away. Spoiler alert. So, like, yeah. there has, like, in my opinion, been been some sort of development. So, at the beginning of the book, she was, like, really, really worried about not having these pills with her, these anxiety pills, which was also kind of cool, because I feel like in especially fantasy books, you don't really get characters with mental illnesses that actually take medications. And it's not, like, she doesn't think to herself, oh, it's terrible that I take these pills. Like, I use them as a crutch. Oh, no. Like, 
she really just thinks of them like as a tool that can help her which is really cool and she does end up moving past the the sort of like i need my pills aspect which i'm not saying it's bad to need them i'm just saying like there was character development in that she like kind of gets past that and thinks like okay, I can do my breathing exercises, I can do my counting, like, I can get through this if I really try and, like, calm myself down. And so that's a really cool development. And also, like, even though she still has all these negative thoughts about herself, she kind of learns to ignore them. Like, even though they still happen and she still explicitly says, like, man, I suck, like, I'm not brave, I'm not smart, she still does brave things and, like, tries whereas at the beginning of the book she just gives up all the time like Mm -hmm. i shouldn't even try i'm terrible but by the end she's like i'm terrible but i'm still gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) so i think there has been a lot of a lot of character development in that way and i actually really appreciate that at the end of the book she still has um like self-destructive thoughts etc because i think it's really realistic like I'm 23 and I have an anxiety disorder and it's like, yeah, I go through my day and I have like a a good job and I'm like good at what I do generally, but I still constantly think to myself like, man, I suck. But the difference is that I keep doing things. Like, I don't just like not do it because I'm like, man, I suck. Like, I keep doing it. And then people tell me like, no, you don't suck. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I don't suck. (laughs) But like, I still have anxiety at the end of the day. And so I appreciate that her character didn't just like miraculously get rid of her mental illness because that's just not how that works yeah i that was one of the things that i really found like in like just realistic about the book too which was just like very satisfying because again like i feel the same way too like those thoughts are like still there for me too but it's just like it just gets easier like you know as you kind of like work through like therapy and like get more comfortable with like confronting those types of thoughts to just be like you know what brain shut up like I'm gonna do it anyway but like it's just you know it just gets easier to say like shut up basically to those thoughts um as opposed to them like going away entirely you know it's more about like managing and like and like coping and like working around them and with them and we can see that with like Mira too like basically whatever her brain tells her we see that you know she's still a loyal friend throughout the book like she's very resourceful in figuring out how to solve problems even if she thinks she can't really do it she's kind to the people around her um her her friend aru from the silent islands sees that too like he says like cruelty is not a part of you or something or like cruelty is like foreign to you some some sort of wording like that um and she's enduring like she endures a lot of hardship throughout the book again like that kind of like that proves her own strength i guess not that i guess not really that she like needed like proving but with her very sheltered and controlled life before she or like before everything fell apart there wasn't really ever going to be like an opportunity for her to kind of confront that type of like challenge and to like really prove that like inner strength, you know? Um, And like throughout the novel, like we see her worrying about like what her family's gonna say, like what her mom's gonna say. But I feel like that kind of like ebbs away, like as we get through the novel, like she's, she starts to like rely a little more on like her own experiences and like her like proven track record of being able to like do things rather than like worrying about like what other people are saying um so like we mentioned before that mental health theme is prevalent throughout the book and it's like the dominant like real world connected theme like through these like happenings in this fantasy world but beyond that like in the realm of minor themes There's also a lot to be said about politics and just, like, political relations throughout the book as well. When we were talking about how there was no, like, relation to to POC relations in the real world, etc., I think that one very minor point in which Jody Meadows, like, doesn't completely stay away from real world politics is, uh, this is an exact quote, so... If you remember, Kelly mentioned the Mira Treaty is, like, supposed to end inequality and, like, help save the dragons and do all of this good stuff. 
So at the beginning of the book, uh, there's this big earthquake on a different island, and Mira's really worried about it, but they don't accept aid from other islands, and Mira's like, why can't we just give them aid even though they don't want it? And the answer to that question is, quote, The Mira Treaty does not permit unwanted assistance. That would be invasion, not aid. And that, like, is pretty obviously, like, an anti-colonialist, like, perspective, which is, like, I agree with it personally, but also it it's one of the only parts in the book that's very obviously related to, like, real-world politics, because there's definitely been a lot of times in history when people are like, oh, we'll just come in and help you with air quotes, <laughs> and then they're just like, oh, we're here forever, just kidding, like... <laughs> Whoops, we stole your resources. How did that happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> On the colonialist theme as well, um, part of the Muir Treaty and also, spoiler alert, like the big reason why it was created in the first place was the islands were basically sold off to this like larger empire. So like the empire wouldn't like invade, I guess. I don't know. That's not really like... That was, like, one of the issues I have with the book. That wasn't really, like, super explained in depth. It was just kind of, like, there's this empire that, like, we don't really know much about that is in a, you know, mystery location in this <laughs> world. Uh, and they're... Yeah. And they are bad, like, trademark. And we don't... <laughs> we just... We don't know much about them. So it's kind of hard to say if it's, like, if it's, like, a colonialist relationship, but it kind of smacks of that, you know? Yeah, because they do talk about how this whole reveal where the Muir Treaty is, like, supposedly the the mainland, like, buying the islands or something. It's very confusing because we don't know anything about, like Kelly said, we don't know anything about this empire. Anyway, so the whole point is that apparently they were going to invade and take the islands by force, but then they signed this treaty and it's basically saying, like, okay, well, we'll give you some of our resources, like our dragons and our Noor stones and, like, some of our other stuff, so that you won't come in, you know, and take us over by force. But apparently, according to the person who's talking about these politics, um, apparently it's inevitable, like, they'll take them over eventually, they're just trying to delay it as much as possible, I don't know. That that was what was discussed, so that was definitely pretty politicky. Yeah, I'm interested to see if one Jody Meadows writes, like, a sequel to this book or if this is like part of the series and then two if she does will she explain more about what this empire is and like who they are like what are their motivations basically like is it a is it an empire of all poc characters as well or is it like you know the spooky like everyone's white and we're taking over the brown people islands you know like <laughs> Like a, you yeah. know, pretty, like, recognizable historical allegory to, like, you know, Earth. <laughs> Brief interlude. There is a trilogy of these books. So the second one is untitled and is coming out in an unspecified month in 2018. So, oh, like, swag. she is writing a second book and there is supposedly going to be a third book. So, like, it's going to be a thing. We're going to find out who these people are and, like, more about the story. I just, I don't know when the second book is coming out yet other than next year. Cool. All right. So when we revisit that, <laughs> we, can make, <laughs> we can make a better judgment on whether or not that's kind of, like, problematic or not. Right now, I'm going to stamp that as not problematic and just something that drives the plot in the book. I'm really, I'm looking forward to finding out whether or not this empire is, like, all white people who are trying to, like, take this POC country. Because that's just, that's just too, like, it's too real. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, and that's, that's where we would edge into the territory of, like, a little more bit problematic that Jody Meadows is, like, a white author writing about, like brown colonialist experiences just because that's something that like she has not experienced firsthand you know yeah and like to clarify we're not saying it's problematic that she would make the colonialists white people like obviously like white people are historically terrible like that's fine yes. but <laughs> it would be more that she's writing 
from the point of view of a POC person being taken over. Like, she does not have that background at all. Like, there's just no... (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't have the social capital to do that. (laughs) Um, So beyond politics, another, like, more minor theme of the book is religion. Um, So Mira's society and, like, all of the islands, too, are very religious. Um, All of the islands are named after the fallen gods quote unquote and it's kind of hinted that like some of the gods are like are like the islands or like they're like under the islands or something um but like they're recognized as like basically like physical entities in the book but it's just there really to kind of add like context and motivation as to why the dragon's leaving or being given to this weird faceless empire would be bad um because the the dragons are like the god's children uh they're like they're like holy beings essentially and the dragons leaving would cause the gods to also leave which they refer to as the great abandonment and and each island has like each island has like a different god with like a different personality so like Mira's island are the the two gods of love they're like they're a couple um there's you know one god that's like the god of silence basically um there's another one that's like the god of like peace and like pacifism and stuff so like each god has like a specific characteristic that they're known for and then therefore like the islands are also known for yeah, and it's just kind of like a part of who these people are in each island. It's it's not like really in depth and it's a little refreshing because a lot of um fantasy books lately have been painting any sort of religion as very extreme. Like they'll paint religion as like women cannot show any skin, you can't have any relationships, you can't have any thoughts. It's like very uh anti-feminist, like women can't do anything in life and they have to marry someone. Like there there's a lot of fantasy books lately that have been painting religion in that way. And this book doesn't really do that. It's just like, hey, there's a religion and sometimes mirror prays a little bit and it's not it's not like a a traditional christian prayer or like any sort of religion that we have it's like these different kinds of words in a different order and so it's not extremist in any way it's not painted in that light it's just like hey i have this religion and i follow it and it's like this is its tenets and this is why i do it and it's just a part of this book and who i am and it's it's that's just it it's just there which is kind of refreshing Going back to the Black Witch, which I had mentioned before, religion in that book was very much, like, a central theme surrounding, like, the nature of the inequality in their society. And it was very coded as bad. Yeah. And specifically when it came to, like, gender relations, too, like, gender inequality. Just because it was very, like... (laughs) Very reminiscent of, like, the, you know, European, like christian type of religions that are like very patriarchal and like women can't do anything basically um and that was like a really big theme in the book and like a really like antagonizing force for the main character that like really stopped her from like doing a lot of things basically and also like dictated a lot of like the race relations too uh you know, basically saying, like, this race is bad because, like, our god said so. To clarify, this is all in the Black Witch. <laughs> yeah, this was, in, this was in the Black Witch, so. Uh, but, like, it was used very differently in Before She Ignites, where it's just kind of, like, you know, a minor, like, kind of background theme. So, yeah, I mean, religion was just kind of a kind of a backdrop. And, like we said earlier, a lot of parts of this book that could have been really problematic, like... A lot of POC characters or, like, appearances or descriptors. They just ended up not really being problematic. And it was, like, a nice surprise to read a book written by a white woman that's, like, not really problematic. Um, And we did mention a couple of, like, POC opinions on Goodreads that that had issues with, like, like, POC women not liking each other, etc. And... Those are valid, and we're definitely not going to say that they're not valid. But I, I don't know, like, 
I really didn't have that many problems with this book, and it, it was just very refreshing. Um, and plot-wise, I did, like, I had a couple of slow points in this book where I just wasn't really into it, but by the end, I, like, really enjoyed it. So overall, decent, you know, experience for me, I would say. <laughs> what do you think, Kelly? Yeah, again, just kind of like with the last book we reviewed. Um, what was the book's name? Uh, the book. Carry on. Carry on with the wizards and the gayness and everything. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So yeah, so just like the last book, the only really problem I had with it was like the plot. (laughs) Uh, Just because because I felt like it kind of, it, it took a lot of time to get to like the payoff of like why Mira was in the pit. Because for like the first like, you know, a little under the first half of the novel, you have no clue why she's down there. Like, you have no context as to, like, you know, what's happened to land her in that position. And then mm-hmm. once we do get the context, I feel like there wasn't, like, enough time left in the book to, like, really go in depth. Like, I, you know, I want to know more about, like, the political relations in her world. Like, I want to know why, like, the Luminary Council is kind of, like, spooky. I want to know why yeah. that there are, like, you know, other characters who are, like, antagonistic towards her in the book, but have, like, the same kind of motivations for, like, wanting to save the dragons. Like, I want to know more about that. Like, there were just, like, a lot of questions that I had. But beyond that, I really appreciated the fact that she did not, like, make her characters, like, overly exotic. Like, the POC women were not, like, hypersexualized. The POC men were not hypersexualized. They were just kind of, like people like dealing with like this situation you know and it was just like Mira dealing with like the troubles that like mental health issues can have or can bring especially with anxiety and like believing that you can like do stuff especially if you have like you know a mom like this you know this mother in the book who's just like super like emotionally abusive like that's not helpful either and I just thought it painted like a really realistic picture of like what it's like to just kind of like have anxiety and like try to deal with it and work through it as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I appreciated it. I just, you know, there wasn't too many things that like jumped out at me as bad. <laughs> Before I stop talking about this completely, I want to mention that Kelly mentioned that, uh, the characters aren't hypersexualized men or women but also i was really scared going into this book that like all of the poc men would be like very angry or like other stereotypes and that didn't yeah. really happen either like obviously some characters are like angry or upset but like there are no like groups that are just large stereotypes like that that doesn't happen like there's there's some really like shy quiet nice people and there's some really like out there people like it's just it's a wide range and I I was very scared going into it that there would be a lot of stereotypes and there (laughs) there really weren't I wasn't that upset by it which is really nice yeah there's there's a lot of diverse character traits indeed so I think we're gonna start wrapping up this episode we're still gonna do another segment after this but that about wraps up our our thoughts on the actual book so I hope you guys enjoyed it and let us know if you have any other opinions or if you agree with us or if you disagree with us or if you want to send us cute like animal photos we've had a couple of people do that and it's been real nice so yeah, someone tweeted a dog photo at us and it made my day so if like you want to send us more pictures of dogs go ahead um yay and i mean also if you have feedback on anything that we've talked about in this episode as well you can email us at fiction forward at fictionistmag.com or you can tweet us using the handle at fiction underscore forward so tell us what you liked about the episode is there anything we missed is there anything we got just completely wrong like we are open to critique we are open to people saying hey wait that's just that's shitty don't say that Call us out. Let us know. <laughs> do it. Preferably without asking us to die or anything. But, like, otherwise, do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in the meantime, though, I think we're going to play a fun game right now. I have a whole list of questions that 
is titled Interesting Questions to Ask a Guy. And none of the questions on here really relate to, like, masculinity or, like, be- being a man or, or a guy, but it's it's funny. I, um, I sent Jackie the interesting questions to ask a girl one, so we'll see how the two stack <laughs> up. None of these are gender related either. <laughs> I haven't I haven't looked at the at the girl list. Um, so we'll get we'll get two minutes each to answer as many questions as we can. Giving it two minutes this time just because some of these questions are a little longer. And we have a little more time to like, you know, dick around. So <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So I'll I'll ask you questions first if that is agreeable to you. No. <laughs> Go ahead, yes. It's fine. <laughs> Too bad, because it's happening anyway. Great. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. What simple change could you make in your life that would have the biggest positive impact? <laughs> Not having anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! What is something that many people take seriously, but should not? Oh, uh, this is a terrible question. Everyone's allowed to have opinions on whatever they want. Stop being offensive. Oh, I would have said Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. That's, yeah. Or like, or like grammar and spelling sometimes. Unless you're like a writer or a journalist. Just like, stop. Yeah. If you were falsely convicted of a crime, how would you adapt to prison life? I don't even know honestly this actually relates to the book that we just talked about she was like sent to prison okay anyway um i would be terrible in prison i'd probably just like curl up into a ball and cry for a really long time oh my god what piece of media changed the way that you viewed the world oh uh a lot of them i question mark first thing that comes to your mind uh i mean i read the book thief when i was in like fifth grade uh, if you don't know about it, it's literally uh, a German girl who, like, a Jewish guy ends up staying in her house in World War II era Germany, and she has to, like, hide him, and it's, like, a big thing. Anyway, uh, as a Jewish person, reading that was really interesting, because I had learned about the Holocaust my whole life, and hearing it from, like, a German girl's perspective was, like, interesting. Anyway, so so that was cool. Yeah. Which historical figure wins the award for being most hardcore? Oh, God. I don't know enough about history to ask this, be, be asked this question. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, what is your dream job and what makes it so amazing? Uh, my dream job? I don't even, like, designing book covers, but also reviewing books and also being a journalist and running my own company. <laughs> <laughs> what job would you be absolutely horrible at? Oh, uh, a lot of them. Anything involving manual labor, because I don't exercise. So if I had to start doing that today, I'd probably not be okay. Um, Also, anything that involves math, because I'm a journalist and we don't really do that. (laughs) Math is not, math is not fun. (laughs) No. Anyway, that's all the questions that you get, Missy. How dare you? (laughs) I already know the difference between the dude questions and the girl questions. That's hilarious. I already know it. Okay. We can talk about it afterwards. So. Okay. okay. <laughs> Kelly, you are going to get two minutes. Are you prepared? Yes. All right. Random questions to ask a girl. Three, two, one, go. All right. What word do you always misspell? Uh, fucking yield. I can <laughs> never remember how to spell yield. Would you enjoy a vacation away from all of your technology? Yes. What is the ugliest vegetable? <laughs> uh, beets. <laughs> okay. What product would you seriously stockpile if you found out they weren't going to sell it anymore? Oreos. Kelly's face is really good right now. Yeah, Oreos are good. <laughs> yeah, I miss Oreos. What is the absolute worst movie you have ever seen? Uh, Rudy. That football movie? Cannot stand it. Fell asleep through it. Right. Only movie I've ever fallen asleep through, like, seriously, because it was so boring. <laughs> what food do you crave the most often? Uh, cheese. <laughs> what is the grossest English word? Moist. Okay, I'm okay with moist. 
What silliest thing do you get nostalgic for? Silliest? Yep. Fucking Captain Underpants books. <laughs> those, those were my shit. Those are still kind of my shit. Those are so funny. Oh, man. Uh... I've never read them, so I can't have an opinion. Jacqueline! Uh, is, I'm sorry. When is lying the right thing to do? Uh, when telling the truth could get you or someone else killed. Solid answer. What is your version of there's two types of people in the world dot dot dot? Uh... People who think cilantro is good and people who think cilantro is the most terrible thing that's ever happened. <laughs> that's accurate. Uh, you're out of time. Unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> my favorite thing is that the biggest difference between the questions you asked me and the questions that I asked you is that mine were like way more related to like food and shallow things like what's the ugliest vegetable. <laughs> Like, you asked me questions about, like, historical figures and, like, literature that has changed me as a person. And I was like, what is the ugliest vegetable? What food do you crave? What's the grossest English word? <laughs> these are these are for context. These are from the same website, too. Like, <laughs> well, let me just read you some of the other questions that are on this list for guys. Um, uh, what TV news story is getting more attention than it should? What's the most impressive thing that you can do? What is something most people do easily, but you find very difficult? Like, what event in your life would make a good movie? <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the rest of the questions on this list are things like, what is your hometown famous for? If you opened a restaurant, what kind of restaurant would it be? If you lived in a tribal society, what role would you play? Hunter, gatherer, shaman, chieftain, etc. Yikes! <laughs> Yikes! Like, I can't even, like, do you think the world would be a better or worse place if everyone suddenly could read each other's thoughts? That one's, like, a decent question. I yeah. That. Or, like, what appliance can you not live without? Okay. Appliance. There's just so many, like, very, like, not, I just, like... Kelly's questions are about, like, politics and the media and, like, current events, and my questions are, like, so Do you Do you lame. think vegetables are weird? Like, <laughs> what appliance can you not live without? Is it the stove? <laughs> Meanwhile, this one's like, what issue do most people think is black and white, but you think there is a lot of nuance to? Like, that's, like, deep, you know? Yeah. Like, I would have to think about that for a while, you know? <laughs> What vegetable is the most attractive vegetable? <laughs> Since you spend all of your time in the kitchen, can you tell me about vegetables? <laughs> Jinkies. <sighs> the tribal question was the worst one, though. Oh my god, yeah, that one's like, that was kind of problematic. Very problematic on a few different levels, but that's okay. Oh dear. On that note... <laughs> If you have any opinions as to what the uh, ugliest and or most attractive vegetable is, you can email us at fictionforward at fictionistmag.com. Or you can tweet us using the handle at fiction underscore forward. If you don't have any opinions on vegetables, but you do have opinions on our podcast, which, you know, we hope you do because we you know. <laughs> We want you to think about stuff, and we want to think with you. You can also email us or tweet us at those same addresses and or handles. Let us know what you liked about Actually, the Actually, we have a separate Twitter handle for vegetables. <laughs> Vegetable forward. <laughs> so, so let us know what we did right. Let us know if we did anything wrong. Let's just we want to hear your opinions. We really we really value discussion and conversation, particularly when it comes to issues of representation, because we don't know everything. We have certain identities that don't allow us to understand really implicitly experiences of other people with differing identities. So let us know. Just just talk to us. We want to talk to you. Yeah, you can even come on and talk to us. If you really want to, yeah, we can read a book together. It'll be fun. Yeah, that would be that would be swell. I would have fun with that. 
in the meantime, I think it's about time for us to uh, for us to go and and wink out of existence for the next couple of weeks until we come back, <laughs> crawl back into book. the void. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, so we'll be back. We'll be back soon. I hope that it's not another month. We'll keep you updated on Twitter. Just 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 check Twitter. Sometimes things happen. We, we run out of books to read, or we, we go on vacation, or we do something in which we can't finish the book in time, and it just, it happens. But, I think the next book that we're going to be talking about is The City of Brass by S.A. Chakravorty. Um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that name. Anyway, that should be the next book we're talking about. I'm very excited about it, because uh, it's... It's a really good book, so guys, be prepared. <laughs> guys, Jackie is super excited about this. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm going to scream from my rooftop tonight about it. So. <laughs> I'm just going to scream into the void about it. <laughs> It'll be great. I actually tweeted a few times about the book, and I, like, tagged the author a couple of times. And I'm pretty sure she thinks I'm, like, insane now, so it's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay, because I think you're insane, too, so... Oh great! Um, <laughs> we're all so anyway. Here. We're gonna we're gonna head out. I hope you enjoyed our random questions to ask a girl and or guy. Indeed, and we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>